This week, uh, Pastor Tom Olson loaned me his copy of West Michigan Woman. Uh, I'm not sure why uh, Tom had a copy of West Michigan Woman. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt that I'm pretty sure it was his wife's. But he loaned it to me and he said, hey, you know, there's a great article in here that I would think would make for uh, a really good introduction to the sermon. So I'm so grateful that we get to kind of do this together as a partnership. And so I took that uh, magazine and I looked at the article and sadly, uh, it was a great, or it is a great introduction to the sermon. It's sad because uh, the topic was about sex and I think it was entitled Sexual Behavior, Is That Normal? The reason why it's sad is is that the point of view in the article, you hear it all the time in the world in which we live, is simply that when it comes to sex, essentially do whatever you feel like doing. Do whatever you want in marriage, outside of marriage, uh, however you feel. The only rules, according to this author, were don't let anybody force you to do something you don't want to do, and don't force anybody else to do something they don't want to do. Other than that, it was fair game. And sadly, more than fair game, It was actually urged, follow your desires. Try stuff, do different things, experiment. And again, you and I, you're you're faced with this as well. Uh, We we see this all over uh, in the media, Hollywood, workplaces, schools. This is the prevailing attitude about sex in our culture today. But as you can imagine, God has something different to say about it. And so what we want to do this morning is we want to be reminded of what God has to say. We're going through together as a church a topical series from the book of Titus, and we're letting Titus choose the topics for us. The purpose of the book of Titus is to help us, encourage us to live godly, self-controlled, disciplined lives. Sex is one of those areas in which life feels out of control. It feels out of control for us personally, but in the world around us, and we see things spiraling out of control, and we see the problems and the difficulties that that brings. Even in our own lives, we can experience the power of addiction or abuse or woundedness, all sorts of pain and suffering associated with this thing we know of as sex. And so God wants to bring us together this morning and remind us of what he has to say about it. Because when we think about faithfulness, this is what Titus is talking about, faithfulness, we want to think about faithfulness with regards to this very important issue. So what we're going to do today is I'd like to start out by trying to explain what is God's purpose for sex, and then what does it look like to be faithful with regards to sex for those who are single? So sex outside of the context of marriage, and then also talk about faithfulness with regards to sex for those who are married. So let me invite you to take a Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. As you can imagine, Genesis 2 is on page 2 of the church Bibles. Genesis 2 is talking about the creation account, the creation of man and woman, the creation of humanity. We're going to look at verse 24, one of the more famous verses in the Bible. I just quoted it yesterday, in fact, at a wedding that I did uh, for two people who grew up here at Calvary Church. Genesis 2, verse 24 says this, 
That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And here in this passage, God is introducing to us the notion of marriage and of sex, and that God is introducing into the created order the fact that God has made provision for some to be united together in a unique way in a sexual relationship and in a marriage relationship. Now, I want you to notice that the uh, translators of the NIV have translated the last word of this verse as the word flesh. That's a great translation uh, for the Hebrew word that's there. But there is one danger with this translation, and that is that we might think that what's being talked about here is simply physical. It's not. The word that's used here for flesh can be used in a more holistic way to talk about the joining of two lives together. And that's really what's envisioned in this passage, is that the uniting of two lives, there's a physical aspect, but there's an emotional aspect and a social aspect and a spiritual aspect. And what is in mind here is the idea that two lives are being united together into one life. It's a beautiful mystery that God has created. And the rest of the Bible tells us that this happens uh, through sexual relationships between a man and a woman within the context of marriage. The other word that's important to us is the word united. It says that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Now, the word that's used there for united is used in other contexts uh, for gluing things together. So if I give you a little illustration here, uh, we have a nice pink block and a nice blue block, and these represent uh, two different individuals. And God creates a male and a female in Genesis chapter 2, and then he talks about the fact that he's made provision for the two to be united. And so uh, I have here a block that is glued together. I just use super glue. But this is now one entity. You can tell, tell it's made up of two different individuals. And so in the marriage relationship, there are two separate individuals, but their lives are now fused together so that in a very meaningful way, it's now one entity. And what the Bible teaches us is the means by which this union happens is sex. The purpose of sex is to take two separate individuals, two separate individuals, and unite them as one life. So if I were going to define sex for you, the biblical idea of sex is this. Sex is a means created by God to enable two separate individuals to become one. It causes two lives to fuse together into one. It's physical, emotional, relational, spiritual, and there's a lot more adjectives you could add as well. In essence, it's a holistic act that unites two people as one. 
Now you may look at that definition and you may say, but you didn't mention marriage in there. Marriage is related to sex, but sex is different than marriage. This is the purpose for which sex was created. What's the connection to two other important ideas, which is marriage and children? So let's talk about marriage first. Marriage is the framework in which sex is designed to operate. As you can imagine, if you read the bottle of superglue that we used to glue these two together, there's some warnings on that bottle. They say things like, don't get it on your hands and then stick it to your face. <laughs> Have you had this experience using superglue? Where you get a little, just a tiny bit on your fender and all of a sudden it starts sticking to everything? Sex is like that. It's an incredibly powerful bonding agent. It bonds two people together. Not just two married people, any two people. It bonds people together. And so what marriage is, marriage is the framework. It's the instructions for how to use the glue in such a way that it acts and accomplishes what it's supposed to accomplish. It's the framework in which sex works best. Sex does work outside of marriage. It's still a bonding agent. We're going to talk some more about that as we look through uh, what it means to be faithful in regards to the use of sex. But marriage is simply the uh, framework in which we're supposed to understand and use sex in accordance with how God wants it used. Now, I do have to say that today, lots of people want to define marriage how they want to define it. Lots of people define marriage, for example, uh, as being open. You're free to have sex if you're married as long as both spouses agree with whoever they want to have sex with. Some people want to define marriage as being between two men or between two women. Some people want to define marriage as being a, a free for no-fault divorce and remarriage, however you want to do it. Some people want to define marriage as being free to have casual sex in whatever sort of ways you want to do it. Those are humans' definitions of marriage. The framework that God gives us is that marriage is between a man and a woman, and it is supposed to be a permanent, monogamous, exclusive, heterosexual union between two people. Within the context of marriage, that's the framework that sex is designed to operate in. It is unfortunately used outside of that context, but the instructions are this is what it's designed to work in. With relation to children, Children are often the result of sexual unions, but that's not the purpose of sex. You heard in Genesis 2, there were no children mentioned. The purpose of sex is to take two separate individuals and fuse them together as one. Oftentimes, God gives children into that union, and children are a sign and a symbol of that unity but the purpose of sex is not to have children. That's an additional blessing. The purpose of sex, according to Genesis 2, is to take two separate individuals and to make them one. With this in mind, this is sort of the biblical definition of what is the purpose of sex, marriage, children, how does this all work together? What we want to talk about this morning, two major things. Number one, faithfulness with regards to sex for those who are single, so faithfulness with regards to sex outside of the marriage covenant. And then faithfulness with regards to sex 
inside of marriage. So we begin with faithfulness with regards to sex for those who are single. And I'd like you to take your Bible and please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's page 926 in the church Bibles. And this morning I'm going to be giving you four principles as to what God has to say about how you and I can be faithful with regards to sex uh, outside of marriage. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 9 to 11. So, nine twenty, page 926. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Principle number one, with regards to being faithful in sex as a single person, God's command is submit to what he says to refrain from sexual activity. It's important to me or interesting to me that in this list of things that God is so adamant against, three of the first four have to do with sex. Sexual immorality, adultery, and homosexual activity. And the point is the world around us says, oh, don't be a prude. We're not interested in all these rules about sex. Nobody really cares. Just do what you want. You're going to be fine. God's response is no. I'm serious. And whether anybody in our lives understands this or not, God wants us to understand this matters to me. And he's saying it in relatively strong language. When he lists these traits, he says, please don't be deceived. People who wantonly engage in this kind of stuff will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the strongest possible language. And God is trying to say, look, I'm not joking around. He understands that sex is a huge temptation. He understands that all of us make mistakes. He understands those things. But up front, he's trying to warn us and say, look, I'm not joking. Now, the good news is, is as soon as he finishes telling us just how serious this is, he follows it up immediately with, but there's good news. (laughs) That regardless of your sexual brokenness or my sexual brokenness or the mistakes that we have made or the sins that we've been engaged in, the good news is that because of Jesus Christ, all that junk can be washed away and we can live sanctified, holy, clean lives. That we're not damaged goods, that we're not dirty, that we're not messed up. The good news is, is Jesus came for this very purpose. So that the sexual brokenness that we've experienced or have experienced at the hands of others, Jesus has come to wash all that junk away. But the first principle is God's serious about this. And so he's saying, submit 
to my commands to refrain from sexual activity outside of the bounds of marriage. Number two, faithfulness with regards to sex outside of marriage protects our lives. Look with me in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 15 and following. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. That's our quote from Genesis chapter 2. Jump down to verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Now this is really powerful language here. Paul takes what you would think would be the worst case scenario. Meaning, the case in which you would think there would be no bond formed between two individuals. It's a case where a man is sleeping with a prostitute just one time. We would imagine he has no real emotional connection to this person and that he's paid for this act. You would think, well, in that case, there's not going to be any fusing together that happens. But do you see the language that he's using? Even in this very worst case scenario, sex still does what it was designed to do. It binds two people together and makes them a unity, one. Now within marriage, this is great because the two are going to stay together as one. But what happens when these get separated? Do you see what happens? Do you see any pink on this one? Do you see some wood missing? Where is the wood from this one? On this one. Do you see any blue on this one? Do you see any wood missing from here? Where is the wood? What's happened? The souls that were bound together, the lives that were bound, when they come apart, something rips. Something tears. This is why we say when you have sex with somebody and then try to break apart, part of your soul stays with that person and part of that person's soul stays with you. This is what in the spiritual world we call a soul tie. It's because this is how God designed sex to work. Even just one time, it fuses two lives together. And Paul says, why would you do this to yourselves? Don't you know that all other sins, they don't damage you the same way that a sexual sin does. It rips apart your soul. It damages who you are. This is why in the scriptures, when God tries to tell us not to engage in sex outside of marriage, he doesn't ever talk about sexually transmitted diseases. That's sometimes how people talk about it today. Oh, you don't want to have sex outside of marriage. You might get a sexually transmitted disease. 
He also doesn't talk about sex outside of marriage, a prevention for that, to say you might end up with an unwanted pregnancy. You can have sex with somebody and neither get a sexually transmitted disease or end up with an unwanted pregnancy. But where the Bible says why you don't want to do this is that 100% of the time, it will do damage to you. It will damage your soul. It will damage your body. And this is why God says, look, the reason why I've given you these rules, ripping apart something that has been fused together is painful and it hurts. Now, before we leave this point, some of us are going to look at these two blocks and we're going to say, well, that's me. The good news is that same Jesus who came to wash us and clean us and renew us is the creator of all things. He created our souls and our bodies in the first place. He loves recreating them and repairing damage. And there is no soul tie that God cannot break. And there is no soul damage that God cannot repair. But please hear the teaching of the Lord. Faithfulness with regards to sex outside of marriage is designed to protect us from these kinds of things. Number three. There are things besides sexual intercourse between a man and a woman that are displeasing to God. Turn over, if you will, in 1 Corinthians to chapter 7, verse 36. One of the dangers with always talking about sexual intercourse is we start to think that's the only thing that's sort of off limits. That as long as you're not engaged in sexual intercourse, if you're dating or you're engaged, well, as long as you don't actually engage in the act of intercourse, then everything else is all right. God doesn't think that. Verse 36, if anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. What Paul is talking about here is that for a dating couple or an engaged couple, there are activities which do not include sexual intercourse, which are still displeasing to God. And it's important for us to understand that when God talks about sexuality, when God talks about sexual engagement, it's not just intercourse that he's talking about. Now, I don't mean that a dating couple or an engaged couple should have no physical interaction whatsoever. I don't think that at all. But I am saying that God gives us his spirit to help guide us in those things. And that if you feel conviction, if you're here dating somebody, if you're engaged to somebody and you feel the spirit saying, hey, look, something is not right here in this physical relationship, please don't think, well, we're not having sexual intercourse. We, might, we must be okay. There are still ways that we act dishonorably towards another person in our physical relationship that haven't yet reached the point of sexual intercourse. They're not as damaging, but they're still displeasing to God. Number four, and most importantly, faithfulness with regards to sex outside of marriage means we need to realize that God provides other means for intimacy and union. 
One of the problems with talking about sex and marriage is that for those who are single, whether single for a season or for single for the rest of their lives, you can hear this talk about, wow, this is an incredibly powerful bonding agent. This takes two separate people and fuses them together as one, and there's an intimacy that comes with that. And you can hear those statements and think, I'm missing out. Think, I've been separated from the possibility of experiencing that kind of intimacy in this life. And there's a loneliness that can be associated with that. I want to say, I do understand and affirm that, yes, you are not experiencing the intimacy of marriage. And that for whatever reason, for a season or for longer, God has chosen that for you. But having said that, please don't believe the lie that there is no other intimacy possible. That somehow it's either marriage or nothing. Look at the verse we skipped over in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 17. Whoever is, what's the word? United with the Lord is one with him in spirit. This is the same language from Genesis 2. It's the same language that's used in regards to sex and marriage. And what God is saying is, yes, sex and marriage create a level of intimacy, but they are not the only things in this life that forge unity and intimacy. That God's spirit creates a level of intimacy between us and God that surpasses the kind of intimacy you can experience in a marriage environment, which is why in heaven there is no marriage. It's because all of us get to experience that deeper level of intimacy with God and then also with the community of believers. And if we looked, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, we're not going to look at it right now, says that singleness is a gift from God. Now, please understand that when God gives gifts, sometimes there's burdens attached to them. That just because it's a gift doesn't mean it's easy. It's a harder road, but a more blessed road. And what God is saying is to those who are not able to engage in sex and marriage and experience that level of intimacy, God makes a promise that he will give to you and your relationship with him a deeper level of intimacy than is humanly possible to perceive or understand that far surpasses that which is possible in marriage. But the truth of the matter is there's lots of people who are married who are not experiencing intimacy. That intimacy is not dependent on marriage. Intimacy is dependent on the Lord. And that while singleness is a harder road, God's promise is that if you will let him, he will be to you more than a spouse could ever be, whether for a season or for longer. I know it takes faith to believe this. Sometimes we have to take our eyes off of the idol of marriage and put them on what God has promised to do for us and to provide his promises through the Spirit. You can be united with the Lord and be one with him 
I understand it's not marriage. It's something that the Lord provides as a blessing and a gift. These are the four principles that God wants us to hear this morning about faithfulness with regards to sex outside of the context of marriage. Let's talk now about what does it look like to be faithful with regards to sex within the covenant of marriage. And I have four principles for you here. These come from 1 Corinthians 7, so just keep going with me. Verse 1 sets up the context. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Now notice that the editors have put that sentence in quotes. And the reason they've done so is because this is meant to reflect, this is a statement that the Corinthians wrote to Paul. And Paul is responding to their statement. He's not making this statement, they are. First Corinthians is unique because it's one of the letters in the New Testament in which Paul is actually answering the mail. Meaning he's gotten letters with subjects that people are asking him questions about, and First Corinthians is his answer to those questions. They've asked him, hey look, we've heard that it's good that sex generally is bad and that nobody should have sex. Husbands and wives, no one should. So Paul takes this as an opportunity to respond, no, this is what sex ought to look like in the marriage, uh, in the marriage covenant. Verse 2, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Four principles. Number one, sex should be a priority in marriage. You hear that God is commanding that this is supposed to be part of a marriage relationship. It doesn't mean it's the most important thing that happens in a marriage relationship. It just means it's supposed to be a priority. Money, time, family, communication. There's lots of things that are priorities to have a healthy marriage environment. Sex is one of those things. And God says, you ought to make sex a priority. Meaning, if you're too busy to have sex, or too engaged with technology to think about it, if it's not something you ever talk about with your spouse, if it's not something that you ever want to communicate about, God says, look, it's supposed to be a priority. I gave sex as a gift to marriage to help people have their lives fused together into one life. And so God's command is, it should be a priority. Not the most important thing, but a priority. Number two, husbands and wives should be unselfish in regard to sex. This is countercultural. Our culture tells us that sex is about us. It's about how we feel. It's about getting what we want. That do whatever you feel like doing as long as you're following your desires. God says that's not how it's designed to work. Sex is designed to be an opportunity to be unselfish towards your spouse. A way to think of it is sex is a gift. 
A gift that a husband gives to a wife and a gift that a wife gives to a husband. And the point is with gifts, we don't use gifts as reward for good behavior. We don't use gifts as punishment for bad behavior or withholding gifts. We don't demand that gifts are given. All of these things about sex in a marriage relationship are unhealthy and not from the Lord. Demanding sex, withholding sex, using sex as a punishment or sex as a reward or sex as a way to make your point or get something done that you want done. None of those things are in God's design for how sex is supposed to work in marriage. Sex is a gift. It's an opportunity to exercise unselfishness, to serve the other person, to put the other person's interests above yourself. And one of the amazing things is by the power of the Spirit, somehow when both people are trying to act unselfishly in marriage, the Spirit brings about a unity and a harmony and a peace in the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife where both are allowed to serve the other and both experience the blessings of what God means for sex and marriage. Number three, sex should be a regular aspect of married life. I know that sometimes it's hard to believe or hard to hear. God's actually commanding married couples to have sex. And this is because he understands why he created sex It's designed to fuse two lives together. And so God says it should be a regular part of doing. You should not stop having sex. Now, I understand there are physical components. I understand that there are health components or aging things that go on. But God's general principle is sex is supposed to be a regular part of a married life. He doesn't say anything about how often it's supposed to happen. The Spirit leads and guides in individual couples and in individual seasons of life, and sometimes things change as you go through the seasons of life. But God's simply saying, look, you can have too much sex in a marriage relationship. You can have too little sex in a marriage relationship. The Spirit is there to guide us to say it's supposed to be a regular part of marriage. Number four, and perhaps most importantly, Sex is an opportunity to exercise self-control. Again, this is not what the culture tells us. The culture tells us sex is all about passion. It's all about spontaneity. It's all about doing whatever you want without giving any thought to it whatsoever. That is not what God says about it. He still thinks that sex is about passion. He still thinks that there is a a level of spontaneity that can be involved in it. But the point is, do you hear him mention in verse 5, sex is connected to self-control. And the point is, when we're talking through Titus about what it means to have a godly, disciplined, holy, self-controlled life, this includes sex within marriage. That what God wants is for our sex life not to be out of control, for us to think too much about it or to think too little about it, for us to engage in it too often or not engage in it enough, for it to dominate our conversation too much or too little or any of those things. What God wants is to bring control some level of discipline to it so that it's a blessing and not a curse. And so please, please don't believe the lie, and I'll say this to single people as well, that somehow marriage solves sexual problems. It doesn't. If you struggle with pornography before marriage, you will struggle with pornography after marriage. 
If you're dealing with woundedness and abuse before marriage, you will deal with woundedness and abuse after marriage. If you struggled with temptation to infidelity before marriage, you will struggle with that after marriage. What helps with sex is not marriage, but self-control. And that whatever problems you experienced before, you will simply bring with you into the marriage environment. But God's gift and his blessing is, is within the marriage environment, God says, I can teach you to exercise self-control so that sex within marriage becomes a blessing and not a curse. This is why he encourages fasting. I don't know if you know this, but in here it says fast from sex in marriage relationship. Meaning a husband and wife agreeing together by mutual consent to take a period of time to say, even though we're allowed to have sex with one another, we're going to choose not to have sex with one another so that we can devote ourselves to prayer. And then God says, and then after that, come back together again so that Satan will not tempt you for a lack of self-control. And as crazy as it may sound, sexual relationship between a husband and a wife is an opportunity for the Spirit to grow us in Christ-likeness and make us more disciplined, holy, and self-controlled so that we're able to live godly lives and experience the blessings God has for us. All right. The all-important question. What do we do with this? Well, I know the temptation is, I cannot wait to get home and talk to my spouse about this. (laughs) Or we're going to have quite a discussion at our small group this week. But that's not really what I think the uh, assignment is supposed to be. I did pray about this. Like, okay, Lord, am I supposed to say, hey, go home and talk about this or get together with your uh, friends and talk through how this might work itself out in your lives? I don't think that's what we're supposed to do. I prayed long and hard about this this week, and here's what I think God wants us to do. Many times in the Old Testament, especially, the terms of the covenant are read to the people as a reminder These are the rules. This is what we're signing up for. This is what Jesus as Lord asks for from us. And many times people have the opportunity to reaffirm or to commit themselves to say, I will obey. This is what you're asking. I will do that. Not, I've done it perfectly in the past. Not, I'll never make any mistakes in the future. But I understand this is what you ask for from me. And I choose to agree. So what I want to give us some time to do, just a few minutes, is I want you to just take some time and think through, these are the requirements. This is what God says. And we're going to show the list for uh, single, and we're going to show the list for married. Uh, Just take some time and think through, this is what God is asking for from us. These are his rules. And I want you just to think through for a moment in your heart, will you commit to follow these? Will you submit to these and by faith say, okay, Lord, by your spirit, I'm going to try to live this way. And then at the end, after a moment of silence, I'm going to give us an opportunity to be able to affirm that out loud if you so desire. So just think through, are you willing to submit to these rules in your life, whether single or married?
this morning is between you and the Lord. Joshua says in the book of Joshua, these are the rules. You're going to have to decide if you want to follow them or not. As for me, I'm choosing to obey them. This is the chance to make that decision. Now, I've had a few minutes to think about this. For some of you, this is a no-brainer. You're like, yes, I, I want to live that way. For others, if you're honest, you really got to think this through. And you may need more time to do that. That's perfectly fine. I just wanted you to know this morning, this is God's teaching about sex. Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast from Calvary Church. We hope this message has brought the light and hope of God's presence into your life, refreshing your soul for the journey the Lord has you on. If you have a spiritual need or would like to connect further with the work God is doing through Calvary Church, seek us out online at calvarygr.org. On our website, you can also find an archive of previous messages from this series. Thanks for listening.